This is the Good Neighbor Podcast, the place where local businesses and neighbors come together. I'm your host, Charlie McDermott. Welcome to episode number 468 of the Good Neighbor Podcast. And today we have Evan Hankel, and he is with the Bank of England Mortgage. And Evan, I just tried to do my British accent. And, <laughs> and can you say the Bank of England Mortgage in, in your best British accent? Bank of England have mortgage. Unfortunately <laughs> for most people, it's not Bank of England in uh, the great land of Britain in London. Uh, it's actually England, Arkansas. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's awesome. But you're only getting one accent. You're not getting the Arkansas accent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, perfect. Perfect. So I've been thrilled to have you on this show. And uh, boy, this is going to be fun. So yes, let's start with the Bank of England mortgage. Tell us about what you're doing there. Oh, absolutely. Well, we're down here in Southwest Florida, and uh, I've been in the mortgage industry for several years. Uh, ended up landing with these guys. Uh, primarily, I just absolutely love how everything is local. And what I mean by that is I think you, if you dig into my background a little bit, I worked for almost 15 years for Wells Fargo Home Bank. And uh, they, they were a great uh, company to work for, but the big problem with them, with any big box retail bank or institution is that uh, the decisions are all made so far above your pay grade and there's so many levels. They're almost so big that it just felt like the customer connections when problems would happen, it would always go to some corporate level and then somebody above them. So with us, everything's local. The underwriter is local. The processes are local. Everything's done at a local level. So we all live in the same area. We're all on a nice group chat. We stay in good communication. So to me, that's what I really like is that when you're working with us, you're working with an established team that's really like a family and we know the area, we know the industry, we have all the resources that a big box bank has, but we have someone that can be available pretty much any time of day to answer questions or solve problems. And that to me is a big difference maker. Yeah. 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 I mean, we've all been there, you know, I've had my, uh, my share of bank interaction with businesses and and certainly mortgages and and yeah you know most of the time you you walk into those situations where you just feel like you know the person you're talking to really has no say or control or or really can do anything other than you know staying within the box right and i mean hey obviously they're successful that works in some cases but it's so nice to have yeah someone local who gets the community gets the area and can really customize and work with each individual based on their needs. Absolutely. And, and, and yeah, not knocking large banks, but um, eventually if, if you're in some type of position, whether you're in retail banking, which I was doing a lot of personal banking, branch management, stuff like that, you always end up hitting a ceiling at some point of, well, that's just the way things are. There's not really a way to appeal a process or really a way to think outside the box. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas when you're dealing with people that are phone call away and they're your neighbors, it's like we understand the area, we understand what you're going through, and it's not their first rodeo, and we're gonna we're gonna make it happen. Yeah, that's great. How about your journey? Then you mentioned you know you were involved with Wells Fargo. You know, how did you even get into the mortgage slash banking world? Yeah, uh, Wells Fargo was my first big boy job. Um, I would say I, I was almost 15 years with the company. I started out as 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 you know low on the totem pole as you can be. I started as a teller making, oh, I think I was making like seven bucks an hour or something like that. I don't even know how I, <laughs> how I survived on that. Part-time, too, that's all they had. 
but what a, they, they were a great company to grow in, I have to say. Uh, and I pretty much became a branch manager in about almost three and a half years. I really took it very seriously. And that was really me cutting my teeth on banking products, mortgages, home equities, personal loans, investments, you name it. You kind of got your hands involved in everything all the way to, you know, shipping money in, shipping money out, hiring, all this other stuff. I loved it. But, but, does <laughs> <laughs> anyone in management will tell you <laughs> when you're, uh, when you're managing 15 to 20 people, sometimes it's like herding cats. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I actually started thinking about, you know, what, what my potential was and what I was seeing for clients that were coming in, especially here in Southwest Florida. Um, to me, it was like, well, we can try and run the whole business and make money from a bunch of different aspects and avenues. But for some reason, the one thing that really stuck out to me was always the personal loans, the home equities, the consolidation, and obviously the mortgages, because you really felt like you were doing real banking. You weren't just trying to just yeah. capture deposits all the time. You weren't just trying to open additional accounts or new households moving in. You were actually making a difference, like on especially yeah. those consolidation loans and stuff like that. You were like not saving money was part of it, but also you were changing someone's entire financial outlook for the future. You really felt that. But again, you're very <laughs> limited to the confines of a big box bank. Yeah. So to me, I was like, when I decided I really wanted to pursue uh, mortgages and mortgages, honestly, Charlie, what what's uh, what's the largest thing anybody ever finances yeah. that also has the most amount of emotions in? It's gonna be a house. Yep, yep, well, that's good. Good stuff. So let me put you on the spot, have a little fun here. And if you don't have an answer, that's fine. But, you know, in your three years or so of being a teller, you probably saw some pretty unique things. Maybe uh, uh, anything come to mind, you know, what, any unique experience of someone walking up to your teller window, maybe with like a, a suitcase of pennies and said, here you go, Evan. I want to deposit these or <laughs> give us some. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you two, I'll give you two stories that stand out. Uh, one is more like realistic based on you never know who's in front of you. Uh, I remember one time it was probably my first couple of weeks as a as a teller doing my deposits. I'm all excited and everything. And this uh, person came in and they were very disheveled looking and they uh, had a very large deposit to make. And I just could not connect with what I was seeing with who was in front of me. So obviously not making good judgment calls and then ends up being that they're one of our highest value clients and end up being one of the nicest clients too. Um, so it's just that you can't judge a book by its cover. You know, that's going way back, but that really stood out. Here's a funny one for you. When I was a branch manager about five years ago, uh, down in, down in Naples, I had a, a nice, uh, elderly woman call in and she, uh, had a question. She said, uh, what was the, what was the going rate on a war bond? And I said, well, I, uh, I, I don't really know what you mean by a war bond. I was like, I was like, can you describe like what you're talking about? She's like, yeah, war bonds. She's like, what's it going rate? And I'm like, oh, I was like, do you mean a savings bond? And she goes, oh, yeah. She goes, what, you don't offer war bonds anymore? And I go, nah, not for a while. She goes, since when? I'm like, oh, probably around the end of World War II. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, that's great. I should add. I got a banker that says some lady's asking about some type of bond I've never heard of. And I took the call and I was like, war bond. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. How about when it comes to myths or misconceptions in your world? What do you hear that you can uh, speak to? Uh, myths and misconceptions in the mortgage world. Well, there's a few. Um, 
the two that probably stand out the most to me, and I see this one shared a lot, and it, but it's good to review with people, is you don't need to put 20% down to own a home, especially not these days, not even the last 10 years. Um, that's a big misconception. You know, a lot of people when they hear conventional, they're thinking, oh, right away, it's 20%. Well, it's like in reality, there is some great uh, products out there that you can get away with as little as 3%. Sometimes the 3% conventional mortgage not only has the better rate, the better uh, mortgage insurance, it actually makes the most sense based on the way they're set up. So hmm. don't ever think that uh, you, you uh, have to come in with gobs amounts of money to, to finance a home. And a good lender will know the difference between the FHA and conventional or whatever else you might qualify for, obviously, because there's other ones. But that's a big misconception. You don't need 20% to own a home. A big misconception that we see, uh, I see this all the time in the real estate office that I work in, is that VA borrowers are more risky than your FHA or conventional borrowers. And I've tried to dig into this many times, but that's a big myth. There seems to be an idea out there that because it's 100% financed, that they don't have as much skin in the game. It's kind of what I've picked out on a few of these agents which is actually kind of what I tell them back is going, well, think about this. If they're approved through VA with no money down, that means they have more money in assets in case of an emergency, and the VA loan doesn't even have MI, so their mortgage payment's typically gonna be cheaper than your traditional finance, like through conventional hmm. or FHA. That's a big misconception. Yeah. We get a lot of people that push back on that, Charlie, to say, you know, how good is this VA borrower? And I don't know why, but they're the only borrower that we seem to get uh, pushback on. Interesting. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, we've all been there, certainly in our early days of buying a home. You know, you you cobble all your pennies together and you put everything into the down payment and settlement costs and all that. And then, you know, <laughs> you hope and pray that when the mortgage payment time comes around that you've got the income coming in to, to pay it. So, yeah. Let me, let me let me add one more thing to that, too, yeah. Charlie. I just thought of this, too. I think another misconception with VA borrowers is that they think they get a, a different appraisal or a different type of estimate of value for the home. When in reality, it's it's a government loan, just like FHA uh, or USDA. And the only real difference on the VA is that they are gonna be looking for things that the Veterans Affairs Office will have a problem with. That would be common items, or not so common even on the inspection, but something like chipping paint, something like that, or you know, something something to do with the uh, appearance or whatever the VA guideline is going to be. They seem to think that there's going to be hundreds more of those or it's going to assess the value differently when it's not. You could say this pen's worth $100,000. This pen's worth $100,000. VA looks at the same. The only difference might be, hey, there's a lot of chipping paint on the exterior. Can we get that fixed? That's the biggest difference. They're okay. still going to appraise it the same value. They may right. just identify things that just need to be addressed. And... Honestly, with the number of mortgages, VA mortgages that we've closed, I don't think we've really ran into maybe one or two that we had to kind of go back to the seller to say, hey, can we suggest a handyman to fix a few of these minor items that are showing up on the VA appraisal? It's never to do with the value, ever. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff. Wow. That's a big one. Our poor yeah. veterans. It's one of the best mortgages you can have and offer to a client. And a lot of times... Sellers agents are very uh, hesitant for whatever reason. I always try to get down to what it is, and they can never quite nail why they don't think it's as good of a offer as a conventional or an FHA. When in reality, the numbers usually actually make more sense. 
Do you ever find that you have veterans that, that discount maybe the VA loan because they think of, you know, that maybe they may not, especially in these times with, with houses going so quickly, uh, where you have to educate them and let them know that, yeah, you're, you're just as good, even better with a VA mortgage? Yeah, I've actually run into that with borrowers that have heard some of the myths that the, the appraisal process is worse or that it's harder mm -hmm. to get financing. Um, some people just have not had a good experience dealing with the VA office in general, which, you know, I don't have an opinion on. I see it kind of from both aspects, but some right. people are just like, I've had so many troubles getting stuff done through VA. I don't even know where to start. Well, the good thing is we have the resources. We actually know someone that's pretty high up in VA down here in Southwest Florida. You know, if they have trouble finding their certificate of eligibility, their DD-214, we've got resources for all that. A lot of times yeah. veterans are... Um, they're they're very um what's the good word they're very cautious with non-veterans such as myself i'm not a veteran um and they because they've had bad experiences in the past so mm -hmm. with anything it's just education it's good communications building trust and then just showing them what you have to do don't push them into anything but just show them the hows and whys of what we're doing terrific terrific so even outside of the office what are you doing for fun Oh, my goodness. Well, we're down here in Southwest Florida. I moved uh, down here from uh, Fargo, North Dakota about seven oh. years ago. So Whoa. I like to go kayaking. I like to go to the beach. I love movies, concerts. Can't wait for more concerts to come back. Uh, that kind of that kind of thing I like to do. I have, a, I have a good buddy of mine. We are super into movies. Like, you name a movie we've we've seen it we've critiqued it uh we're actually thinking about doing what you're doing starting a podcast to start reviewing movies as they come out uh -huh. it's a big passion love movies love them all marvel all star right. wars old hitchcock movies you name it i've seen all of them black and white to the most modern cheese ball ones love it so make a recommendations for our listeners maybe something that isn't mainstream that you just absolutely love what what comes to mind uh, you know, let's give everybody a good mortgage movie to watch. Go watch The Big Short. That was fantastic. Was that with uh, Steve Carell? Yes, it was. That, yeah, yeah. That, you know, that was Because, you know, Charlie, a lot of people say with what's going on in the real estate market, oh, it's going to be like the 2008 situation. It's completely different. That movie really spells out what was going on behind the scenes with yeah. That was a whole different monster. Yeah, it sure was. So it was yeah, pretty sure interesting was. to see how everything played out behind the scenes. So I'd recommend that one. Yeah. Good stuff. So how about when it comes to life challenges, uh, you know, looking back, Evan, and, and maybe your life challenge was just living in Fargo, but no, just kidding. Um, but um, you know, a time that you had a rough go of it, you got through and you can now say, hey, I'm better for it. I'm stronger having gone through that. Anything come to mind? Yeah, I got rid of my North Dakota accent. Don't you know? Yeah, you betcha. Oh, my God. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Um, I would give out, uh, I'll give two challenges. If there's any loan officers or loan officer assistants or people in retail banking or in finance in any shape or form that wants to get involved in mortgage, I will tell you the biggest challenge is basically learning the system, learning the guidelines. Uh, that was a big thing for me is when I was with, uh, with Wells Fargo, you know, we would only get maybe 5% of kind of the dealings of how the ins and outs of auto loans, mortgages and everything worked. That was probably the biggest challenge uh, was stepping into a position where I knew very little. I was excited for the results and I knew, you know, W-2s, pay stubs, you know how to do all that, but it was knowing the guidelines of all that. So if you're looking to get involved in uh, becoming a mortgage lender, 
that is going to be the biggest challenge. My advice to you is similar to what I did. Find a great mortgage company that you can maybe get in an entry level position at as a loan officer assistant. You are going to learn the ropes. You're going to learn the ins and outs. I did that for about exactly a year at uh, another company. That's really where I learned uh, to cut my teeth on what they were looking for, the guidelines, how the system worked. And then once the year came, I knew my worth and uh, decided to pursue uh, a different job with all the knowledge I had gained. So a little little sweat equity, a little elbow grease may yeah. have to go into it for sure. Yeah, yeah, terrific. How about one thing you wish our listeners knew about Bank of England Mortgage? What would that be? We've been around for a long time, but I'm going to have to go back and say that the biggest difference uh, with our company is how we structure our entire process. So from the moment we meet with the new client and we're doing the pre-approval, we basically want to um, make sure that any buyer or seller, I should say, that's looking at that pre-approval understands what actually went into it. We have a whole checklist. We say they went through an early underwrite. We verified assets. We've gone through all the guidelines, blum, blum, blum. I will say this with the company. I don't think I've missed maybe one, not due to our fault, but we've only missed one closing with Bank of England since I've been with them. And the reason, the reason that we're like that is because a lot of work is put on to our shoulders as a loan officer to make sure that that file is nice and presentable and it can go to underwriting the day we get the contract and it's already been somewhat approved through underwriting to say, this is good to go. We don't want someone to be going right before closing where the whole thing falls apart. We've all heard horror stories about that. Well, usually if you find out a horror story of what happened, if you dig into it, you can find out that there was something up front that either got missed or could have been addressed right away to avoid that. Yeah, yeah. Do it right the first time. Yeah. <laughs> so how about our listeners who want to get a hold of you? Where should they reach out to? How they get? How can they get in touch? Absolutely. Uh, it should be pretty easy to find me. You can Google me, Evan Hankel, H-A-N-K-E-L, Bank of England. I'll pop right up. Uh, you can also reach me at my uh, phone number. It's the, hey, listen, this is my work number and my personal. It's with me 24-7. It's all, I'm talking to my friends. I'm talking to clients on it. You can call me. You can text me, 239-293-7532. If you have, you know what I, I love when people say, hey, I, uh, I have absolutely no idea how this process works. I've never done this. I'm going to ask stupid questions. And I tell people, there are no stupid questions when you don't mm. know what you're doing. So bring on all the mm. questions. Let's. Let's get you educated. Another big yeah. thing too, Charlie, credit. If people are having some issues with credit, we have resources to help them out for free. Awesome. Awesome. Yep. Evan, you I are the never, man. I never, never turn down a conversation or looking at someone's full picture to give them a, a plan. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's a really good point. I mean, I, I think a lot of folks, they, they already count themselves out because of certain things and it's at least worth a phone call to find out. I mean, it's better to know and or know what you can do to quickly get there if you don't qualify than to just think you, you know, you are not in the game. So great, great stuff, Evan. Thank you for being a part of the show. Wish you the best there. Thank you so much. And yes, Far leaving Fargo was a was a, a uh, something to overcome. And it's great. And I highly recommend getting out of any state that's got like eight months worth of winter. Ah, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you take care. 
All right. Everybody be good to each other out there. Let me know if you have any questions. Thank you for listening to the Good Neighbor Podcast. To nominate your favorite local business to be featured on the show, go to goodneighborpodcast.com. That's goodneighborpodcast.com. Or call us at 239-224-4105.